You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 100 and 105 of our talk... 100 and 105. Wow. Wow. That's the eyes. 105 and day 106 of the reading through the Bible. And really, we're talking through the Bible, resurrecting the uh, tradition of passing on the story orally. So we're glad you're listening. We are in the book of Deuteronomy. Mm, and play get, us in. We're getting close to the end of it. All right, our Old Testament reading for today is Deuteronomy chapters 23 through 28, verse 14. So, boom. There's just... a lot going on in here. Uh, chapters 23 is kind of concerning, like, who can show up when uh, there's, like, an assembly for anything, for, like, legal matters, for worship matters, like, who can come in, who's who's clean, who's unclean. Again, it has a lot to do with um, idolatrous practices and stuff like that, and he's just kind of remem- reminding, like, you yeah. are the people of fruitfulness, you are the people who follow only me, so anyone who follows any other gods or is, like, maimed themselves in any way, they're not allowed to to be part of that's, your official assemblies. That's the best way to say it. I think that, yeah, they've given themselves over to pagan uh, idolatries. And so as a result, reconciliation to the God of the universe, it takes time and and purging, really. Mm-hmm. God will purge that out through generations. And he describes uh, how fast that's going to go depending on the people you're connected to and yep. to what you've done to yourself. So I think that's pretty good. There is a, the only thing that's um, of note for me is this chapter is where it describes something as mundane as where to go to the bathroom. Yeah, so, um, yeah, there's a little section in the uncleanness in the camp, and that's, like, for when you're at war. Like, so the men at war, and it's just kind of describing, like, okay, this is, you got to keep the camp clean because God's among the camp. And so if you're going to go to the bathroom, you go to the bathroom outside the camp, and you cover it up. Yeah cover it up and uh then there's ideas about uh don't charge interest to your brother Mm -hmm. so you know um when you're giving money away just give it that's what the new testament talks about look give money don't charge uh christians are not the kind of people who charge crazy interest on uh, giving things especially to one another and then i thought this was interesting that any slaves from foreign countries that ran away and are seeking refuge allow them to find refuge in your nation and yes. do not re-enslave them because, or send them back to their masters. Because remember where you came from. Yeah. You were taken, you were a I sojourner. Thought that was super cool. That's a theme over and over again where God says, you love the widow, you love the orphan, mm-hmm. you love the, the um, sojourner because remember, you were, a no, you were not a people in Egypt mm-hmm. and I protected you and took care of you. Then in chapter 24, I mean, it continues like the laws about when you're newlywed, you're no, you're not allowed to go to war. You got to focus mm-hmm. on that relationship. Basically, I would sum up a lot of chapter twenty four is just don't. Well, the negative is don't be a jerk. The positive is always be thinking about loving your brothers. Yeah. Always be thinking about leaving food, like leaving. Don't harvest every little grape in your vineyard. Get what you can get the first pass, and then leave the rest for uh, the poor for the widows, the orphans, the sojourners yeah, to really eat cool. some. You know what I mean? Like, leave the corners of your field mm-hmm. for people to eat because there's a responsibility to your your people, your tribe. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the heart of God. So always be thinking about, and so there's a bunch of miscellaneous laws uh, helping people to figure that out. Yeah, like this is how we're going to love people. This is how we're going to treat them. Everyone deserves dignity and respect. And then I guess it goes into 25 too. Like there's themes of protecting the weak from the strong. So the way um, the way you handle court cases. Mm-hmm. Is this, I, don't, I can't remember if we already talked about this, but... Um, like even in the punishment that's being doled out um, or if a, a, how you treat a guilty man, like don't mm-hmm. beat him to death and no yeah. more than 40, you know, whips and things mm-hmm. like that. I mean, it's very specific, but again, it's to protect the weak from the strong and to learn how to love your brother and not cheat and don't take advantage of one another. Yeah. And then uh, there's like a an interesting law about, uh, marriage, so like if uh, oh, yeah. if a woman's husband dies before she has a child, uh, the brothers have a responsibility to, and it seems super weird to us, but um, uh, the women would get their inheritance through their children. So it was brother's responsibility to get her pregnant until she had a son. And so it has like a very detailed process of how this is supposed to work and how it's not to be taken advantage of and how the woman's not supposed to be taken advantage of. And she's, it's all for her to be provided for and that the brother who died, that his land still stays in his family. Yeah. It's the inheritance from God is so important that you need to uh, create a son there. And I will say at the end, it's funny, you know, people, um, you'll hear things like what is an abomination to the Lord. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm just noticing in chapter 25, like, a full and fair weight. Yeah. So, like, the way you do commerce. Mm -hmm. It's easy to mark prices up or to cheat the weight of things Mm -hmm. and charge more. And he says, for all who do such things, they act dishonestly, are an abomination to the Lord your God. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I know it's, it's fun to choose and act like certain sins are an abomination. But... An abomination is anything that's embarrassing or misrepresenting the name of God in the way we deal with one another. Yes. And uh, so that's pretty cool. Then he says, remember Amalek, what he did to you on the way out of Egypt. Don't forget. um, So if you can remember, the Amalekites were the first nation that they... that they went to war with when they came out of Egypt. It was the whole situation with Moses having to hold his arms up. Oh, yeah. Um, So Amalek just straight up came and attacked the Israelites straight out of of Egypt. And uh, Joseph, or not Joseph, Joshua led the attack. and, And anyways, from that moment on, God's kind of always like, remember... Destroy the Amalekites whenever you can. Well, well, because the Amalekites knew it was the best time to take mm-hmm. advantage of a people. They just finished a war with Egypt. So let's just take whatever they... They ended up winning somehow. This is our best chance. So yeah. the strong always are trying to pounce on the weak, and that's not how we are as the people of God. Then chapter 26. All right. Here we go. I know you got some stuff for Yeah, this. so basically um, the first fruit tithe. So when you come into the land, it's going to be a big deal when you get your first fruits, your first harvest. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so um, Moses is telling them exactly how this is going to, what you need to do when you get this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you need to declare today that the Lord your God has given you this land and you need to make declarations and you need to respond um, in certain ways of worship. But the thing that is great is 
he says, tell the story of Abraham. Tell, and so you retell in verses 5 through um, 11, really. It's just kind of a short retelling of Abraham, the promises mm-hmm. to Abraham, the promises of God and the protection of God to get you out of Egypt and, out, and the exodus and the wanderings. And then, um, and now I bring you the first fruits of God's promises, the first fruits of all the exodus and all the wanderings in the desert. Here we are. And so uh, this is what you, one of the things you'll do is give this creed. I yes. see it as a creed. But then what, what uh, came to mind was, if you remember in the book of Acts, Stephen Which is, we haven't read yet. We haven't read that yet. But Stephen is one of the first deacons. And so he's taking care of like the Greek and the Hebrew widows, and he's, he's with the disciples, and he is the first martyr. Mm-hmm. And as he's being martyred, he gives this long speech that sounds strangely familiar to this speech. Yes. He starts giving a detailed history of Abraham, his generations, God's promises to Abraham to create a nation, then mm-hmm. that nation defeating and coming out of Egypt, then that nation wandering and being taken to the promised land. And I've always wondered, why is this long speech? Why is Stephen doing this? I thought maybe he's just trying to show them that he knows his mm-hmm. biblical history. But I'm reading Deuteronomy chapter 26, and I'm realizing Stephen is announcing the first fruits. Yes. He's in the promised land. He's living under the resurrected Christ. And in the resurrected Christ era, where Christ is king, he's offering up himself. And the first fruits of this new era is to be martyred, to give up your life. For the kingdom. For the kingdom of God as, as a, kind of a mark and you're offering to God. So, of course, he gives this. I think he uh, gives this whole history of, of Israel because he's offering his body. As a first fruit to God. As the first fruit to God in the promised land. Yeah. I, I know. You made that connection. And that blows me I love it. So uh, we'll think about this. Remember this when we get to... Because uh, the land was a gift to the original audience in Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. But to Stephen and the guys and the women in Acts... I mean, they are in the promise of resurrection. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, yeah, great. So that's what uh, our new promised land produces, the kind of faith that's willing to die for Christ, the kind of faith that's willing to serve the orphans and the widows, the kind of faith that never loses faith. It's a new heart. So anyway, chapter 27 then. Chapter 27, we get a reminder and kind of a more detailed uh, explanation of what's going to happen when they enter into the promised land. There's these two mountains that face each other, which I had mentioned before, Ebal and uh, Gezerim. And Ebal is a barren, like, just wasteland of a mountain. And then Gezerim is, like, very fruitful and green and a lot of animals and produce on that mountain. And so Moses says, when you get in there, half the tribes are going to go up on Ebal, and half the tribe, and the other half is going to go up on Gezerim. And you're going to face each other, face the mountains. Well, I just want to say, everyone needs to wake up, because this is the part of the passage where it's hard to understand. I didn't understand it, and I just started to go, I just got to read it. Mm -hmm. So Matt's explaining it to you now. He had to explain it to me. So listen (laughs) up. So imagine, these two mountains. Okay, go on. Yeah, so... Ebal is the mountain of cursing and because it's barren. So it's barren. Yes. Half the tribes get up on the barren mountain. Yes. And then Gezerim is the mountain of blessing, and the other half get up there. Okay. And uh, 
the the Levites get split between the two. I thought blessing was evil. Ebal. No. Man, no. see, I'm so confused. No. Ebal is the cursed mountain. Okay. And curse, curses come from that. And so they were going to yell and announce the curses um, over the land and over each other from Ebal. And then the other half of Israel announces the blessings over each other in the land. And so they're yelling back and forth at each other, and they're just announcing the blessing of following God or the curses of not following God over each other and over the land. And they're taking ownership of that by doing this. So it's like a big objective lesson. Mm -hmm. Like God's having them go through this almost like a team building exercise to say from this dead mountain comes curses. Yes. You don't want to be the people over Mm -hmm. here, but that's almost radiating from this place of death. Mm -hmm. From this place is a place of life, the land I'm giving you, and it radiates blessing so uh, and both mountains are basically in the dead center of the promised land. Okay. Uh, so, so they're like a visual, like we have a cross a in a church to mm-hmm. remind us of things. They have a mountain of blessing and a mountain of cursing, which is really great because I think Paul talks about that in Galatians about the children of promise and the children mm-hmm. of Hagar and the two mountains. And mm-hmm. I've, it's always eluded me. This reference is not like readily on my little Rolodex of a brain. Yeah. So wow. So okay. So that, and and it's also like these words and these blessings and these curses are real. And by announcing them over each other in the land, it seals the deal. Like you're, they are, owner, you're owning up that there's like, two sides to this sword: mm-hmm. salvation and judgment. Yeah. And so, so choose you this day which one you're going to be a part of. So um, in 27, <laughs> they explain the curses and like and yeah. or, or basically why you would be cursed. And to really just sum up the That's curses good. is it's if you don't love your neighbor. Well, it's God and neighbor. And if you don't love God, right. like this, you're going to be cursed because of these things. So they kind of flow into the 10 words, right? Yeah, they Idolatry, do. disobedience to parents, steal from your neighbors or boundaries, mm-hmm. mislead a blind person, mm-hmm. pervert justice, you know, um, or pervert kind of family, sexual relationships, incestual things, or mm-hmm. power things, bestiality, incest, murder, murder bribes, uh, whoever rejects the word of God. This is kind of how I've categorized some of these things. So it's it's more it's very than ch- the 10, <clears throat> it's more expansive. So it's breaking things down. Like, look, if you can't understand what goes under the category of, let's say, adultery, mm-hmm. Let me break it down. Yes. Like all sexual, there's sexual Mm -hmm. ramifications that, you know, for bestiality and Mm -hmm. um, stuff like that. And then there's, there's curses for perverting justice. Yeah. Okay. So that's from Ebal. And then from Gazarim um, in 28, he then goes, okay, let me tell you what the blessings, if you keep these commands, let me tell you what the blessings are going to so be. So chapter 28 is um, is really awe-inspiring. Be- but are you telling me that chapter 28, the blessings are being yelled? Like mm-hmm. this is what they're, mm-hmm. sp- I, never, I never pictured that. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, so they are You're yelling right. these blessings over at each other as well. So are they going to yell the curse? We're not going to cover the second part of 28 today, but... There's curses, the second part. Mm-hmm. That's being yelled too. Mm-hmm. That's, wow, that's yeah. much longer. Yeah. There's four that's curses intense. to one blessing. Yes. Really. But are. let's focus. So today we're going to, let's just hit the uh, blessings because it sounds heavenly. 
Yeah, so I love, um, it's, if you are careful to do all the commandments that I've commanded you today, the Lord will set you on high above all the nations of the earth, and these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. I love that image of the blessings. You can't even outrun the blessings. They're going to overwhelm you. They're so good. Well, and and then you realize the blessings don't come from, they're not coming from good works. They're coming from a good God. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, I just want your heart yes. and I'll bless you. Yes. And so, again, the blessings are your city's going to be blessed. Uh, your field will be blessed. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. The fruit of the ground and the cattle uh, will be blessed. Uh, your the- basket and your bread, like all your bread and the wheat and all that, blessed. Well, he says, too, you'll be set above all the nations. Mm-hmm. And you get like... With that, you get safety as you come and go. You'll mm-hmm. never worry about that. You'll have victory, military victory. All the works of your hands will be blessed. Mm-hmm. The land will be productive. You will be a holy people. All nations will fear you. Yes. So like they're not even going to feel the arrogance to come after you. Mm-hmm. Your land will be protected, fertile. You will be the one who is generous to other nations. Like They will come to you for help. Yep, and you won't borrow from them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. It's pretty, I mean, so think about everything in life. I mean, you get, and you get the purpose and meaning of it by being set apart and working with the God of the universe mm-hmm. to bless the world. So things are fertile. There's victory. There's production. There's safety. There's peace. It sounds like the, the fruit of the Spirit, actually. Love, yeah. joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control, goodness. Um, but there's all this productivity, so it's a perfect place. So God's saying, and Moses, why wouldn't we want this? Mm-hmm. Of course you want this, but you got to not turn to other gods. Yeah, that, that's basically the punchline. Is As long as you don't turn to other gods and you just chase after and pursue and long after the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... You're good. Well, so here's my... Everything will be taken care of. This is the blessings, and we'll get into the curses tomorrow, but it seems so easy, right? Mm -hmm. I read this, and I go, it seems so easy and straightforward, yet I realize that my sinful condition makes it impossible. Yes. That I'm constantly turning after uh, and to another God. And we, whether you know it intentionally or unintentionally. Mm-hmm. And so um, it might be easier for us, though, reading this, to think, why would they ever turn away? But you have to remember, we are full of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus has risen from the dead. They, the power of Christ rising from the dead and then breathing on us and giving us his spirit at Pentecost is not a small thing. So, of course, we look back, you know, and... It's like looking back in history, go, why didn't they just fly? Mm-hmm. Why didn't they ride a train? Well, there weren't trains. Right. And so we have the Holy Spirit. So it might seem easier, but really the Holy Spirit drives us to repent and turn to Christ all the time and yes. be forgiven. And um, But we are committing the same. We're in the condition of sinfulness, which has been enlightening to me. So if you recognize you are just broken, sin is a condition. It's not always a behavior. The behavior follows the condition. Like, of course we sin because we are broken, so we need to be fixed. But otherwise, if we were, mm-hmm. if we were good and we were born with the ability to be good, mm-hmm. yeah, we, they would have followed him and the whole world would have followed him and the world would be full of peace and justice and production and fertility and it wouldn't it be great. Mm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but it is great. Uh, so it's interesting. 
And it starts to sound like what God is leading us into in the future. You know, like this could be the idea too of a new creation and a new uh, heavens and new earth where we don't worry about all these things. But it's just so cool that it's it's embedded deep in the uh, Old Testament. Yes. Deuteronomy. So. Old Testament. All right. Now moving on to our New Testament reading for today. Luke chapter 16 verse 19 through chapter 17 verse 37. Trying to see where we're at. So Luke chapter 16. What has Luke been talking about, Matt? Uh, So we were going over all the different parables, like he was covering some of the parables of Christ. Uh, We ended with him slamming the Pharisees. Okay. Uh, uh, basically about their ingenuity at, towards money, but their lack of ingenuity towards God. And now we are uh, talking about the, the rich, rich man, man and Lazarus. Love this story. Um, again, this is a pure, only in, found in Luke story. Mm-hmm. And what it tells us, well, here's the story. A rich man clothed in purple and fine linen, he feasted sumptuously, and then there was a poor man named Lazarus who sat at his gate, always begging. Mm-hmm. And the rich man, uh, you know, he, he, he wouldn't even give really the, the food that fell off the table to this poor guy. Yeah. Basically, he's merciless, and um, they both die. So uh, they both die, and then the parable goes, they see each other. Like, the rich man can see poor Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. Like, there's, like, some kind of chasm there's like a, there's a distance between them, but he can see he can see Lazarus. So the poor man is Lazarus in heaven. Yeah. Okay. And the rich man is not. He's in Hades. He's in hell. Mm-hmm. He's suffering, okay. right? Yes. I mean, we could just read the story, but but basically, um, in Hades, being tormented, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So yes. he sees the poor man, and uh, <clears throat> so he says. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Mm-hmm. So here's what Jesus... This is the story of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I don't know... I don't believe Jesus would necessarily paint a false picture of the afterlife. Right. But apparently, there's, there's definitely a place of torment, mm-hmm. and there's a place of rest. One's with Abraham, the other's in Hades. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to see each other, but why would Jesus say this? Perhaps it's true. Maybe that's, I don't know. But the thing that I get from this is the rich man, he's still bossing around Lazarus. Yeah. He says to Abraham, make Lazarus my servant. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I think, uh, so what this tells me is when people die and are apart from God in this earth, they don't want anything to do with them. When they die, they still don't want anything to do with them. Right. They still are thinking they're better than the people who are there. Mm-hmm. They're still wanting to, they're to be served and do something about this. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus, Lazarus in like manner bad things. But he's comforted and you are in anguish now. And this is where he says a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Then he says, uh, 
well, send somebody to my father's house. I have five brothers and warn them. So now he accuses Abraham. And basically, like, no one told me. Like, no one told us, you're doing this, you're cruel. Mm -hmm. I demand that you go now and tell my family about this. Yeah. And then Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So Jesus is saying, like, look, you Pharisees, you haven't been able, and honestly, it's like all who reject Christ, Mm -hmm. you've rejected the prophets, you've rejected Moses, you rejected the book that's been revealed to you, Mm -hmm. you're going to, even in your death, see, as a Christian, I always think, when we die and you see Jesus and you see God and you see Abraham, you're going to go, oh, God, forgive me, I should have believed, help me. Right, we assume that because we believe. Right. But people who don't believe, when they die, they go... Why did you do this? They accuse God still. Mm -hmm. You didn't tell me. Mm -hmm. You didn't warn me. You should have helped me more. They're still accusing God and justifying themselves. Mm -hmm. That's what this tells me about the condition of our sin. We think seeing someone from the dead would change that. We think seeing a great miracle would change that. But as we know, crossing the Red Sea, defeating the Egyptians, eating water and drinking water from a rock, eating bread from nowhere does not change our condition, our sinful condition. It's to point us to repent to the one who can change our condition. Mm-hmm. So this is Jesus' take on, on what's going to happen to the, the people who um, are unable to repent. Even at the resurrection of Jesus. And so what happens when Jesus comes back from the dead, shows himself to over 500 people. Mm-hmm. They still say, stop talking about Jesus. Yeah. They don't believe. Right. Yeah, we didn't believe the Moses and the prophets. We are not going to believe Jesus. Right. Ah, man. So the other thing is riches and being comfortable in this life is not a sign of God's blessing. And that's what he's trying to say, too, to the Pharisees. You guys feel good about this, but you shouldn't. Because, again, the rich were the one of the few people that were actually able to, like, keep the ceremonial laws up. Like, they were the only ones who could afford to be ceremonially clean all the time. And so, among this era, the rich were definitely seen as, if they're, if anyone's going to make it to heaven, they are. Well, it's, I just, wow. You think um, the idea that if you have riches, you're blessed by God? Mm-hmm. I think Jesus carries that all the way out for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, if that's true, then in the next life, the people who... Um, God loves, or maybe he's going to flip it. That's why he says, maybe now he suffered in the world. Now he gets to be comfortable. You were comfortable in the world, and now you get to suffer. Mm -hmm. There's something there. I can't quite get my head around it, but there's something to like that logic because I start to think like, well, maybe we're too comfortable here in this life, and and it just flips. But that's not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is um, you're only comfortable because of God, Right. And uh, if it's up to you, then yeah, you got what you could there, but you can't get that stuff in the next life. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Chapter 17 then, I think it does go on. And then he says to the disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. Because see, they're asking the questions too, I think. They're like, wait, they're getting confused. Yeah. Like, wait, are we, we're comfortable. We had a good fishing business. We're with you. Wait, what's going to happen? Yeah. And basically Jesus says, 
um, the temptation, you need to bring forgiveness and you need to bring uh, not judgmental, like in light of what I just said to this parable about Lazarus, you guys need to not worry so much about your comfort and what you're getting mm-hmm. and just trust me, I think, right? Yeah, it's just being in a position of repentance. Like, And then <clears throat> if if a brother sins yeah. be and they repent, be willing to forgive them. Don't keep... Don't try to keep them out yeah, just because they mess up. Don't keep a ledger of mm-hmm. like, because that's what I think after that parable. You're like, wait, okay, I've been this comfortable, I've been that, and now I need to do this. Okay, we, we yeah, this work person has offended us, and so we should keep them out. And yeah, so it's like, Truth remember, is, none of you guys deserve this. Yeah. So as long as you're in a position of repentance, be willing to forgive. And and this is to the uh, faith, the I heard this story a long time ago, and I just like it. I always come back to it, but, you know, um, if you're standing on ice, it doesn't matter if you think the ice is going to be really strong, mm-hmm. and you're dancing on the ice, or you're nervous about the ice, and you're just slipping out onto it, and you're really scared it's going to break. Faith is the uh, stepping out on it, no matter if you feel good about it or bad about it, and it's really about the object of your faith. So we stand on Christ, mm-hmm. and so it doesn't matter how strong confident or how unconfident you are you stand on christ that's faith yes yeah so there is like a little section the next section is the disciples are like increase our faith and jesus is like look as long as you have a faith the size of a mustard seed you'll be fine it'll grow into a tree and uh and you'll be fine you'll totally be fine um and then uh and then we get this interesting little thing about the unworthy servants, or just uh, what a servant is, yeah, and what to expect of a servant. Um, yeah, it's like after a servant plows the field, he doesn't come in and then get like, "Whew, it's been a hard day of work. Serve me." Yeah, the and then the master doesn't... the master doesn't serve and say, "Oh, thanks for plowing my field. You're yeah. the servant." So after plowing the field, you come in and you make the master's meal. Yeah, which is a reality. I think it's like human nature for us to think, oh, I've served the Lord. Mm-hmm. Now I get to relax. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying, you don't understand. Like if we, if we, even if we go into like the Old Testament idea, you are a captured people. Mm-hmm. You could either be dead or you could be forced into labor, like forced labor. So you thank God for a good master, right. but you don't say, now you prepare something for me, master. Mm-hmm. You ask him. You plead with him, and you find out he's gracious and loving. But I think he's resetting, saying, like, do your duty, have faith in Christ, do the things that are before you, stop getting wrapped up on who's going to rule the kingdom, who's right and who's wrong. Stop doing that. Stop trying to win arguments with the Pharisees and realize you're with Christ. And, And then I think, like, this actual event shows, again, it's highlighting this whole thing of, Repentance and 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 in this next and section, thank like thankfulness. Yeah, like uh, in fact, all the way through thirty seven, there's two two ideas: the ten lepers and then the coming kingdom. Yes. But I found a theme, and so think about this. Okay. The theme is turn back. Right. So turn back. Don't turn back, or do turn back. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea of of repentance. So in the first one, it's the positive. He heals ten lepers. And actually, he just says to him, go show yourselves to the priests. Yeah, he doesn't even say be healed. He just says... Just go show you, which is an act of great faith. Yeah. 
So like they're going to go on the word of Christ, just go. But I don't know if I'm healed yet and I'm not allowed to even go near the priests. Yeah. Near the temple, near any of that stuff. Right. And it says as they went, they were cleansed. They were healed. So if you just think about like maybe there were more lepers and one of them was just like, whatever, and just keeps walking the other way. Yeah. And then just figures that guy was messing with us. And then meanwhile, 10 are cleansed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's faith. But so anyway, they go and only one comes back, Mm -hmm. turns back and says thank you to Jesus, right? Yeah, he falls on his face and he's worshiping God and he bows to Jesus and Jesus accepts the worship. So again, it's another quick... (laughs) moment of Jesus is accepting worship as God. So Jesus Which would be blasphemous if he was not God. And so Jesus looks at the man and realizes he's a Samaritan. And again, Samaritans are not uh, fully from Israel. Like they've been they're like inbred and they have Assyrian. They've been conquered by by all these people. And they can't really trace their lineage very clearly and they have different beliefs of where to worship and like they don't get along with the Jews. And Jesus looks down and he says, didn't I heal 10 of you? What? Where, where, where is everyone else? Why is no one else praising God? And, uh, and he's like, except for you, a foreigner, a right. Samaritan who should not like me. It's because the Samaritan realizes everything is a gift, and he turns back yeah. to the source of life and restoration. Yes, I love and it. And so we turn to Christ, we turn to Jesus, and we say thank you. Then he highlights that, though, with the coming of the kingdom, where there's another turning, a turning towards the things of death, a turning back towards the places mm-hmm. of regret and loss. And so he tells an interesting story because they, the Pharisees say when the kingdom of God would come. And I think they're mocking him like, oh, you're going to set up your military physical kingdom? Yes. Tell me, where's your army? I mean, you have mm-hmm. like 12 fishermen and like these losers with you. You can't set up a kingdom. And that's where Jesus starts to say, look, you guys get the signs. Look, here it is. You know when there's a storm coming. You can, you can understand when things are happening. And, um, but look, I'm telling you. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you because Mm -hmm. he's saying, open up your eyes and see the king, the son of God, who's not rebellious, the son of God, who's the prophet of God, the priest of God, the king is here and I'm healing people. I'm saying, he doesn't say all that. He just says, look, notice, notice what's going on. And then he says, um, he, okay, this, this passage is loaded up. So we have to kind of gloss it over because we don't have an hour and a half. But um, he mentions lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other. So the Son of Man, um, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Yeah, so he's kind of saying um, the kingdom of God is going to appear without any warning. Right. There's just There's going to be a flash of light and it'll be noticeable and unavoidable, but it will come with no warning. And people will try to say that it's here or there, or I'm, I've returned and I'm here or there, but you'll know when I'm back. Right. And there will be no signs indicating that I'm coming. Like, I'm just going to appear like lightning appears. And 
<clears throat> it'll be just, and he then kind of compares it to like, it'll be like in the days of Noah, and it'll be like in the days of Lot, where people were eating and drinking, and then the flood happened. Right. Or, and then the judgment of God fell down onto Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's what it'll be like when I return, is people will be going about their lives, and the next thing you know, boom, I'm here, and there's either judgment or salvation. So then he says, remember Lot's wife. Yes. So that's where she turned back and looked at the city. She was leaving, Sodom and Gomorrah, mm-hmm. and became part of that city, which was a pile of salt. Yes. She was vaporized with the city because she longed to be back there and was going to miss it. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting. He says, so in all that's going on here, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you that in the night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said, Lord, where? And he said, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. (laughs) Yeah, so this is an interesting take on, like, kind of when Jesus returns. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I think most people... Well, there are, are most most of our understanding comes from a theology of rapture, <laughs> and uh, and the idea that the people are taken are the people who are good. Well, yeah. Th- but in this in this instance, it's very much uh, you want to you're like this is from an Israelite perspective. You want to stay in the land. Yes. So the people who are taken out of the land are cursed. Right. You're. We are not the ones removed from, from the earth. earth. Yes. The earth is. God so loves the inheritance, the world. Yeah, and so the world doesn't just mean it's people; it means mm-hmm. the earth now is the inheritance of Christ. So He's cleansing the earth of people yes. who don't bow to Him. Mm-hmm. That will happen one day. Yes. So yeah, this isn't about a secret uh, rapture. Actually, it's about the very public coming back of Christ, like in the days of Noah mm-hmm. and in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Very public and a very huge event in. Things will be cleaned. And, and in those two events, the people who were removed from the land were the ones who were rebelling against God, right. and their wickedness was scoured from the land. And Lots. the people who were saved and stayed on the earth were the ones who obeyed God and yeah. listened to his voice. It's very small. I remember Abraham even fought for that. Like, if there's one righteous person in the city, save it. Five. Um, yeah, I know, but I was just making a point. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so the people, will. where will they be taken to? Well, they'll be taken to death. Mm-hmm. That's where the corpse is. There the vultures will gather. So you might have a belief in um, rapture and things like that. It, it just can't be taken from this passage. Yeah. You know, I mean, I personally don't agree with that, um, but I also don't know everything. I don't know how it's all going to pan out, but we know from this passage that um, things are going to be out in the open and uh, we don't know the time. It's going to come upon us like the days of Noah and the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yep. But how does it all fit in? So uh, doesn't it, didn't it fit in for, it fits in for me, I guess, with you turn back towards those places of death or you turn toward, back towards the places of life, God and his Christ. Yeah, I think it kind of falls back to the parable that we started off with with the rich man and Lazarus, right? Right, yeah. So you either want to be with God or you don't. And so you're either looking 
for God's return and you're looking for where God is or you just don't care and you're not looking. And so when the Lord comes or when the day of judgment finally arrives upon your death, you will either end up in the places where God is not because that's where you spent your life or you will end up in the place where God is because that's what you've been looking for desperately. And I will say, so there's no doubt about the second coming. He's coming back for us. Mm-hmm. But I, I, it encourages me to go, we are the people who engage in daily repentance. Yeah. So just turn to Christ every day. Lord, yeah. forgive me for the sins I've done on purpose and the ones I've done unintentionally. And believe that you're forgiven. And he'll meet you there. He'll meet you there. Boom. And then tomorrow, I mean, I love the, the next day. I just have to do a teaser. Okay. Come back for the uh, parable of the persistent widow, one of my favorites, which mm. tells us then how to pray and how to ask mm-hmm. and uh, persistently, you know. All right. What do we got for Psalm? So today we're going to do Psalm 46. We're just rocking on the Psalms of the sons of Korah. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose stream make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns, the nations rage and the kingdoms totter, He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We will talk to you next time.